It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. From the inside, as opposed to the outside. So tune in and learn all you need to know about the legal system and how it works. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen online at www.kcaaradio.com. Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Miss something today, yesterday, last week? Check out our podcasts at www.kcaaradio.com. We leave no listener behind. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun.
Amen. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Timothy this morning? 1 Timothy in chapter 4. Let's read these first five verses together. The scriptures tell us, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For every, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God. Father God, we pray that you will bless the reading of your word this morning. Father, we pray that you'll be with us mighty, mightily, dear Lord, in spirit and power, dear God. Father, we pray that you'll hide this pastor behind the cross, Lord. We pray that you will empower us, encourage us, dear Lord. Lord, we... we fully commit and admit commit to you this morning dear lord that it's the holy spirit father it's the holy spirit that fills our hearts and fills us with the the message it's the holy spirit that opens our eyes and our ears and our heart that we might receive your word and father i pray a special blessing over this message this morning that you will speak to hearts dear lord speak to my heart preach to me this morning lord it's in jesus name we pray and all god's people said so you know one of the neat things about um the uh, little state that I got to go to Alaska here just a few weeks back was a warning I heard. I heard this warning several years ago, the first trip I had up there. And one of the missionaries had said, um, they were, she was telling us all different kinds of things to be careful about doing because lots and lots of people come up missing up there. It's just a land that gobbles up people. But when we uh, had uh, driven down the coast just a little bit in the peninsula, there was some big mud flats, and I just thought, I bet there's all kinds of shells and different things out there. I mean, I was just thought, at some point, I'm going to get out of the car, I'm going to go out in those flats. And, <coughs> and she, this uh, lady we were with said, hey, and Brother Mike, by the way, don't get out in those mud flats. It's like she heard what I was thinking. She said, you see those signs? And we were passing signs every few miles, and it was a warning. Those mud flats are, if you get out in the mud flats, it has a powerful silt on the top that's, that holds you down. You'll get up to your waist. You won't completely sink, but you get up to your waist, and then they can't get you out. They had flown, she said, they had their stories in the Anchorage Times about them flying out there trying to pull people out, and the very worst happening, trying to pull them because the suction was so powerful. They had just recently developed a technique for pumping water. If they could get water to you, pumping water, and it'll flush you out on top of the mud, and they'll pull you out they can drag you out there who would have thought that you would something so beautiful listen such it is with doctrine with theology and what's going on in the world today something that a lot of times that we just casually look at a worldview a teaching it seems harmless and it might even seem beautiful at first glance but in reality it's something that can tear you in two okay it's something that can actually take your life Paul is trying to describe here for them in the letter of Timothy a good way. But to do that, he's got to warn them about some particular things. And one of the first things he does here in verse 1 uh, and following is a warning. It's a warning of, uh, of, that comes from the Spirit. Look what it says in verse 1. The Spirit explicitly says. That's a kind of a unique term in the New Testament. Because he's saying the Spirit is saying this. If this is a general revelation, it would have been something that the specific teaching. He didn't say the Spirit says uh, technically what this is, but he says, in generally speaking, the Spirit has revealed this, that in the latter times, in latter days, which was a common Hebrew phrase, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, so they are deceptive spirits, and doctrines of demons. So, so have you ever thought about how something you might hear about something, or a new fad that's going through the country, and people adjust their lives to it? Have you ever thought that maybe it might be something that's harmful to you as a Christian personally, or to your family, or to one of your children? This is along the lines of this. He's, going to, uh, he's really addressing a certain group of Gnostics, is what he's addressing here. But he says, I think this is very spectacular, that he says, the Spirit says this, watch out. In the latter time, people are going to follow. Now, this is not a doctrine you can build a whole case about people losing their salvation. That's not what that is. What it is say that people who supposedly are following in the faith, can be deceived. They're not really saved, but they will fall, They can fall away from the faith because of demons who are actively working. Look what he says in verse 2. 
by means of hypocrisy and liars seared in their own consciences as with a branding iron. The word he's using there for sear is the word carterized, like what some of you are feeling right now in this hot room. Amen? I'm being seared, carterized. Okay, another joke. Y'all are off. We're off this morning. So he's talking about it means when you sear a place and it builds up calluses, it literally means to become hardened towards. One of the most dangerous things that can happen to you as a Christian is to get to a place where you can't feel anymore. Let me tell you, that is a dangerous place to be. God wants your heart soft. He wants it tender. You want a heart that's like butter so that God doesn't have to send a freight train and throw a freight train at you or me to get us to get our attention. But we're like children who just with a little tug or a little push or a pull that the Holy Spirit can speak to us. Don't get let you allow yourself in your life to get to a place where your hearts are hardened over. But these have are by hypocritical liars seared in their conscience as with a branding iron. And the Gnostics who had a dualistic view of matter, I'll explain that. They forbid marriage and also from abstaining from certain foods. So in Gnostic, in Gnostic theology, here's their theology. They said that all matter was evil. So if all matter was evil, then flesh was evil, and there were certain kinds of foods that were evil. And so they took this, this look at matter, and it, and it had moral implications. And so one of the moral implications was people shouldn't get married because the flesh is evil. It's, it, flesh is evil, and, and uh, it's, this is why it was so easy for Gnosticism to try to hijack Christianity. People said, well, then they, they were beginning to forbid marriage. But he... God intended for there to be marriage. He intended for uh, men and women to, to be together and to procreate and have children and for the world to grow in such a way. But the Gnostics had forbid that. He's speaking to Gnosticism right there. And also the special rules of, about food. And he has to give this general blessing. He said everything, is, everything that God has created is good for those who believe and they know the truth. And he said, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected. The word he's using there for rejected means to be, it's worthy to be trampled on if, if it's received with gratitude. Now listen, he's speaking to first century Greek Gnosticism, but let me tell you, that principle applies to today. Because a lot of world theologies, just take marriage for the, that is a very common thinking today that marriage is passe. In the, um, in the province of Quebec, in Canada, it's, uh, the, the idea of marriage is it's, so many people are not marrying at all. They're not, they're, and, and marriage is a good thing. It's something that God has provided. I'm telling you, one of the, thing, one of the, hey, one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life was that God gave me a wife and somebody that I could love and spend time with and, be, and protect and her protect me. Marriage is a good thing, but that's not what the world Think about the last time you've seen a good, positive sitcom or a movie that projected marriage in a good, positive way. They always project the dr a drudgery and the stupidity of the husband. And, you know, he, well, and that's another, that's another thing. A husband, a white male portrayed in a positive way in a movie or a sitcom is one of the rarest things you can find anymore in the media. Well, guys, don't go there to find out what it means to have a good, strong, healthy marriage. You go to this right here. And it'll tell you what it, somebody say amen. Please say amen. Because the world is teaching these false doctrines and these false narratives. Everything is, to be, is good if it is accepted by prayer. So there's a warning. There's a warning of the Spirit. And he's speaking to these workers of evil. And he tells them that the real wish of God is that we receive what God is providing for us and be thankful for it. We have so much to be thankful for in different areas of our life, we could just we could let that consume our worship time and our private prayer time, just what we can be thankful for as believers. Verse 6 says, he, he points out, now here's the good way. We've got to the good stuff. He tells Paul, Paul tells Timothy rather, in pointing these things out to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ, constantly nourished on in the words of faith and sound doctrine which you have been following. The word that he uses there for point, you might want to circle that word, verse 6, and then circle the word in verse 11. It says prescribe. Because in verse 6, what he's saying, it's a phrase, it's actually a phrase that means to set out stepping stones in front of somebody. So if you have a garden, you're putting stepping stones to get from one place to another. He's saying, when you lay these things out this way, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Constantly nourished up, and it's a perfect it's a perfect participle here, and it means a continual action. You will continually be nourished up on the words of faith and sound doctrine, which you have been following. And parakaleo, it means to walk along, it means to walk alongside. 
Paul's telling Timothy, as you lay these things out as stepping stones for your people, and they will, this is the way to go in life, and, and it's a way for you to be nourished up spiritually. It's as though the Lord is walking alongside of you. And so at the end of this message here, what we're saying, and what I want to say, I'm bringing the end all the way back up here to the front, just to say this, that this stuff is important. This is something that you can, this is something you can pour your life into. Nothing else, I can tell you emphatically that nothing else you're pouring your life into right now will gain and receive the results of you pouring your life into the gospel, into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying everything that we, we all have in our lives is evil. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's nothing else that's going to bring the return to you and your family like pouring yourself into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I love I love to bass I love to fish, I love to fish. I have a I have a fly rod, uh, and uh, you can bass fish actually with a fly rod. Put poppers on it and do all kinds of different things. It's a, it's a great it's great and it's really cool because you can catch a a four pound bass and it feels like a twenty pound bass when you catch it. But I have gone through uh, I have gone through seasons in my life with Brenda's had to remind me say Are you catching catching fish or are you catching men? Now, what are, you fi- what are you fishing for? Because it's like anything else. It's like golf. I had to quit golf. I had to because, I mean, I was, gonna, I was about to become an atheist over golf <laughs> because that is such a frustrating game. Cody and his dad invited me when I first came to Pruitt to go out and play golf, and I was a little bit nervous because I can't just go play golf. I mean, I've got to go play golf. <laughs> I, so I like to have fun. I'm not a killjoy is what I'm saying. But man, listen, nothing is going to bless you in your life like you pouring yourself as a Christian mom, dad, as a friend, like pouring yourself into the things of God. When you point these out, it's like a stepping stone's laid out. Look what he tells him to reject. But have Verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. It didn't say no profit, okay? <laughs> so this is not an out for us who don't like to exercise. It says... For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise for the present life and also the life to come. One of the great thresholds that you'll break in your life as a Christian is when you, when you, because you're investing your thing. We all invest our lives in different things, but when you cross a threshold and you begin to really start investing your life for the things in the next life, let me tell you something, your life will take on a whole new dynamic. Amen, Carolyn? I mean, you, when you start working in this world in such a way that you're trying to increase your investment there and with the Lord, and this is not a, gospel, this is not a prosperity gospel, because there's no telling what it's going to cost you serving the Lord here in this life, but oh my goodness, the rewards you are gaining for yourself in heaven are beyond imagination. Verse 9 says, this is a trustworthy statement, and you might want to circle that in your Bibles there too, because this is a formula. Paul uses this. He, he will use this when he's about to say something important, really, uh, that he wants to emphasize, and so he'll use this little phrase. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope. This is continual. It's a continual action. We have a continual hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially of believers. This is why we work. This, this is the... This W in my outline this morning talks about why is it that we work? Why, why do we work? Because Jesus is our living hope. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in that relationship and on our salvation and the reward that is to come. You see that verse 11 there? He's, not, he's gone from encouraging lightly in verse 6. Point these things out, lay them out like little stepping stones. That's kind of neat, you know. Well, here it's a more of a command. Prescribe. You teach these things, command and teach these things, let no one look down on you because of your youthfulness, but rather in speech and conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. Listen, listen, this is an incredibly, uh, incredibly important venture we are all involved in, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you prescribe these things. Don't let anybody look down on you for any earthly handicap you might have. For Timothy, he, was, he knew that Timothy may have been chastised or being looked down on because of his age. Listen, the things of the Spirit transcend, transcend the, worldly, uh, the worldly things that may hold us back. 
We may not be the best-looking person. We may not be the richest. We may not be the strongest or the youngest, but the gospel transcends that. And some of the, some of the greatest men in Scripture, some of the greatest women and servants in, 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 in our history, in Christian history, didn't look like much on the outside of the world, but they were giants in the kingdom of God because they were strong in spirit. Somebody say amen. He tells him to adjust five things in his life. Two of them were inner, and three of them were outer, in your speech and your conduct. Ministers, pastors, listen, we have to be, we have to live above reproach to the extent and how we talk and how we conduct ourselves. And you know, those of you Christians who have any age to you or any wisdom to you at all, you know, if you spend enough time around somebody and listen to what they say and what they do, you can kind of get an indication of their, their heart, Amen. Amen? You can tell what's really a, what a person's made up of, you know. And uh, my encouragement to young ministers has always been, if you'll do right long enough, you'll build up enough credit so that when you do do something boneheaded, because we all do, we all do boneheaded things, the overall witness will carry you through something where you've messed up, generally speaking. So that's on the inside. And he says on the, outs on the outside, in love, faith and purity show yourself an example to those who believe verse 13 says until i come give attention to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and the teaching okay now is kendra here kendra no uh jamie's here jd and then uh i saw another one of my leaders over here to my right somewhere terry are you terry here no well listen in ministry sunday school teachers Here's a formula for you to, make, to ensure success. I, I'm worried about doing this right. I'm Listen, if you'll do these things right here, you'll have a successful church, you'll have a successful class, you'll have a successful ministry. Read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. If you're meeting for breakfast, men, read the scriptures. Lady, if you have it, when you're meeting together, y'all are doing, I don't know, quilting or you're going fishing or whatever it is you're doing as ladies, uh, read scripture. Exhortation. I take that to mean to encourage, pray for one another, teach. You know, that's what, that's what they'll come for. I can get a crowd here. I can, go, I can go find an elephant or a camel or something, put it out here and charge 50 cents, and people will show up for that. They will, but they won't keep coming back. But if you'll give people the word of God, and if you'll pray for them, and you'll encourage them, they'll keep coming back, they'll keep coming back, and they'll keep coming back. Because that's what the world, this dark world, is needing that we're living he tells him, do not neglect the spiritual gift that's within you, which was, spoke, which, which was bestowed to you through the prophetic utterances and with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. In Timothy's case, in that first century church, the apostle in that new apostolic era, the, the embryonic state of the church, a prophecy was said over Timothy. Sometime after he was saved, I think, it was said, you are going to do this and this and you're going to do this. And a lot of old time preachers still practice that. I think it's really cool. I've seen, I've seen one or two pastors, older pastors do this, and I've done it once or twice myself where you look at somebody and say, you know what, I think God just may call you to preach at the prompting of the Spirit. Well, something akin to that is what happened to Timothy. I think they might have been in a worship service, and maybe it was the Apostle Paul. Indications are it might have been. And he said, Timothy, you're going to be mighty in spirit and mighty in faith, and you're going to be a great pastor, and you're going to go here, and you're going to die for the faith, which he did. Well, that's something to hear over your life. Any pastor that's promising anything other than, than work, struggle, toil, and trials in this life is fibbing to you. He's lying to you. Because to be a Christian and to follow Christ, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you friends. It may cost you lands. It may cost you money and title and prestige. But you're going to gain Jesus, and that's better. Somebody say amen. Don't neglect your gift, Timothy. Verse 15 says, take pains. It means to ponder over, think, mull over. All pastors, all preachers have this one thing in common. I'll tell you, it's one of our weaknesses. This is a hole in our armor. When they're studying for their sermon, they mull it over. They brood over their sermons. They brood over the message. They study it. They go over it. They read it. And they, they go over and over. They're wrestling with God. Any pastor worth his salt is going to wrestle over it. Do you, want to, do you want to just show up on Sunday morning and hear something that somebody else said 10 years ago and he just printed it off? Because there's pastors who do that. I shouldn't tell that, but I'm going to tell you, there's pastors who do that. They print off their sermons every sermon, Sunday morning. 
when I go hear a guy preach, I want to hear something that he met with God about. And God beat him up and down the road over and said, you've got to say this, and twisted it and turned it in his heart until he finally gets to the place, and I believe that he believes what it is he's saying. Because I think a lot of the guys here preachers, they don't believe half of what it is they're saying. You want to know how just crazy I am? I'll tell you real quick. This is confession time. Brother Kenneth Meadows and I several years ago were sitting in his office. I don't know. My prayer time at that particular time of my life was awesome. We were talking about things we were praying for and everything. And I mean, it just came out of my mouth where I thought. I told Kenneth, I said, you know, Brother Kenneth, I said, man, the Lord has been answering our prayers and things have been happening. And I said, I just feel like, I, I mean, before I thought, I said, I feel like I could call fire out of heaven. And he said, please don't. <laughs> True story. But at that time in my life, me and the Lord were walking. Not because I'm a pastor. Listen, I believe you can do that. Number one, one thing, if I ever need a fire, I know who to holler at. Amen? The Lord can provide it. Some of you have some needs in your life. And you kind of hope, you kind of hope, wish, maybe, perhaps, maybe the Lord. No, don't, don't approach the Lord like that. Approach him in such a way that you think that if you need a fire from heaven, he'd give it to you. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed to them so that your progress will be evident to all. Everybody else will see it. You won't have to tell them about it. Verse 16, he repeats himself. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do, you will ensure salvation for both yourself and for those who hear you. This stuff that we are preaching and teaching you about, about doctrine, and there were several of them we went over in this chapter this morning, are critically important to you and your life and to decisions you're going to make in the future about where you're going to go to school, who you're going to marry, where you're going to serve in the church. These are important things. And hopefully it's not something that's just some man or woman made up or thought up somewhere. These are things that the Spirit of God is teaching and leading our church and our families in. Where is God leading you right now in your life? And if we had a testimonial service this morning, could every one of you this, this morning in this room say, Brother Mike, I am a Christian, and I know the Lord, and this is what he's leading me and my family to do right now. Here's where I'm at. Can you answer that question? That's where we're trying to get you. That's where the Lord wants to get you, so that you can answer confidently. I'll tell you about a zero I got at DBU one time from a professor. His last name was Cannon, and he was a banker for West, Wells Fargo. And he gave us an assignment. It was a leadership class. I failed that class. No, I didn't fail it. I failed that assignment. He wanted us to write a letter to our family, all of our family members, and tell them, if, if, if you were to die today, what was the last thing you'd tell them? What was something you'd finish saying? Well, I know why he was doing it. He was provoking. He wanted to provoke an emotional response that we would tell something and it was a way for him to connect. And I thought about it and I thought about it. Went home that day. I came back up, drove back to Dallas midweek and told him, hey, Brother Cannon, I'm not going to do that assignment. Well, how come? I said, because my kids know him. I said, I can, I can go right now. I don't have to tell them what I'm saying. I'm not saying they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. But they know what they're supposed to be doing. And I think that's just a personal question to ask that I'm not going to answer. He said, well, you're going to get a zero on it. I said, I don't care. I'm not going to answer that question. I said, I've said everything I'm supposed to say to them. They know, where they're, they know they're supposed to take care of their mom. They know they're supposed to follow Jesus. Because this stuff matters. Because this stuff matters. Does it matter to you? Are you making decisions that you're supposed to be making right now based on the leadership of the Lord? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for this letter to Timothy, dear Lord, that Paul has written for us. I thank you for your encouragement in this scripture. And I'm asking you this morning, dear Lord, I just feel like there's a lot of individuals, I think there's a lot of families who are on the hump right now, dear Lord. They're, they're kind of wondering which way to go about a lot of different things, dear Lord. And so I'm, I'm praying an intercessory prayer for them this morning, dear Lord. Would you please speak to them this morning, dear Lord? Lead them. Where Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved, Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Help them to learn it. Help them to live it. Help them to practice it. Help them to immerse themselves in it, dear Lord, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Help them to be victorious in it. Help them to have faith in it. Because there are evil spirits out there, and they want our attention. They want our allegiance, and they want our fellowship. And God, don't let them. Don't let them give it to them. But help them remain true to you. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people say. You're listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Brother Mike Calhoun. It's good to come into God's house. It's good to be with God's people, uh, to be a part of what God's doing. And uh, that special reminds me of how, um, that special reminds me about uh, when I survey the wondrous cross. That's what our life is about. Now, everybody in this room is going through something right now. They're going through some stage of life. They're going through the the natural process of just living out a human life. But let me tell you something. Life is about the cross. It's about our Savior. It's about our redemption. Um, And not just for salvation's purposes, but then after we're saved. And probably the most common mistake that happens in a Christian's or a believer's life is when they're saved and... um, I think the pastor said, uh, rather Brother Paul Gill said a few weeks back that we compartmentalize and we, we have a secular life and then we have a spiritual life. And uh, we, do, we do what we do and do out there and we don't apply, you know, the cross. But the cross applies to everything. In our marriages, the raising of our children, and decisions that we make. And you remember that we're in the book of Ruth. If you want to turn on over there, the book of Ruth, chapter 4. As you turn over there, I'll just remind you that... This entire story we're reading about, and I promised to tell you this week, I don't remember who I said, but I said I was going to show you how you're in this last book of Ruth. You are in. Amy, it was you were one of them, wasn't it? And somebody else, I said, maybe it was Kendra. I was picking on the women that day. But you're in this book, all of us in this room who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're in the last chapter of the book of Ruth. And But let's go back to the beginning. Do you remember what happened in the life of uh, Naomi and her family and how that her husband had made this decision. There was a famine uh, in Jerusalem. There was a famine uh, in Israel. And so they went 40 miles out to where they'd heard there was food. They went to Moab. And in the 10-year span of time, uh, the husband passed away and then both of his sons. And so you had Naomi and uh, Orpha, one daughter-in-law, and then Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, who were going, they'd heard that God had visited his people and they were going back to Jerusalem. Now, there's a lot they talk about there we don't know for sure. Uh, and I've, I think you might remember, I said, you know, it would be hard to make that decision about if, you're fa- if there's not food. There wasn't food there, but the people of God were supposed to stay where the, God had told the people of God to stay. So if you can just forget the, the element of that there being provision of food, God always was going to provide for his people. And if they were going through famine, that was under the old covenant where they were probably being punished for something in Israel's house. They were probably being, they were going through a hard time because of sin. But they compiled and they, com- they compounded that sin, uh, their, her husband did, when he decided to go to Moab. And so 
He makes this move. He makes a, uh, a, a fleshly move, a carnal move, maybe a very practical in our eyes move, move today in the 21st century. But he and his family, they go, and, and it's just terrible things begin to happen. And so she comes back, chapter 2, she makes her way back. And do you remember what she said? She don't call me uh, Naomi anymore, which meant pleasant, but called me Mara, which was bitter. And that's what had happened to her. Through those circumstances, she had become bitter because all these terrible things had happened. And so a lot of you and a lot of us as Christians, we can relate that when we visit a, cer a certain season of life visits us, visits us, we are tempted to say, you are doing this to me. Lord, you're doing this to me. Why is this happening to me? But I'm just telling you, uh, as a fellow Christian, a fellow believer who has seen some hard times, maybe not as hard times or difficult or scary times as you've seen, but I've seen some hard times too, that God has proven to me over and over that we still go ahead and trust him. We are still called upon to trust him. And even though our, our vision of him gets warped, we change. We're being molded and we're failing or succeeding, but he never changes. He was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God's always the same. And one of the attributes of God that we have to remember is God is good. God is glorious. God is never wrong. God has never forgotten you. And that is going to be the bulk of what our lesson is this morning because now we get to see the great redemption take place. There's a story of redemption that's going to take place uh, in this last uh, chapter. Look what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Boaz went up to the gate, and he sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. And he said, Turn aside, friend, and sit here. And he turned aside, and he sat down. And then he took ten men of the elders. Rather, he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And so they sat. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here, before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not... Tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, you remember the last, you remember the last chapter, chapter 3, this wonderful thing happens. We see the little meddling going on. That's what we titled last month's message, last uh, session's message was a little meddling. And we see Naomi beginning to see what she had been raised, she'd been raised under this teaching of the Liberite law. And so she knew that there was a near kinsman redeemer. And in that old social structure, if a man died, then his closest redeemer was supposed to come in and care for that person and their family and redeem property, uh, redeem debts. And they were, supposed to, they were supposed to take care of that, take care of that person. It was how God had set up for his people to be uh, taken care of. And so she sends, uh, Naomi sends Ruth down to where Boaz is at. He goes down, they meet, they have this wonder, wonderful interaction. He recognizes her for the, continues to recognize her for the wonderful person and the wonderful gift that God has given him in this woman. And in chapter 3, verse 18, I love this verse. When Naomi's talking to Ruth, she said, then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know uh, what the, how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until this is settled today. So not only did she know the law that this was supposed to be taken care of and that Naomi and pa that that Ruth and possibly Naomi would be provided for, but she also knew the man, and she said, he's not going to let this issue rest. It's, this is going to be settled today. So this was somebody who was determined to go ahead and to do several things here. I think, first of all, he was doing what God was leading him to do. But secondly, what he was doing, he was doing it through the structure God had provided through the Old Testament and through the laws in Deuteronomy, and he, she, he was going to provide for her and pay for her debts and redeem her land and her family and their name and their future. And so he got set, but he had to do it properly. And there was another relative who was closer. He said, if you're going to redeem it, uh, verse 4, then you do it. But if not, I'm going to redeem it. Look what it says in verse 5. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi. Wait, he's, he's extending what he's saying this guy's got to do. Then Boaz said, on that day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased of his inheritance. And so by that old liberate law, he was supposed to not only pay off the debts and marry Naomi, uh, uh, and uh, rather marry Ruth, but he was also supposed to take care of Naomi as well, and he was supposed to continue on family. He was supposed to have more children. 
Look what verse 6 says. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because it would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. There's a couple of things we see that he's doing here. The first thing we see he's doing is he's doing this publicly. He's going before the city elders. This is what was called for in Deuteronomy. But we also see the totality of what he's willing to do. That is Boaz. The totality of the situation, it was, this was a big deal. This was a life-altering, a life-changing deal that he was, going to, he was going to marry Ruth and then also adopt Naomi and take care of their debts and take care of their land and provide children for the future. And we can see the priority of the one who's not able to do it. I, and we don't know what I'll, I love reading the commentators because there's all kinds of ideas. Why didn't he go ahead and the first closest relative do it? We don't know. could have been that he had already had children and had he uh, got involved in another marriage, taking care of someone. But see, that didn't matter. The law said by honor, by right, he should have went ahead and done that. But he said, I can't, I can't do it. And do you all remember a few weeks back when I said we were preaching and we talked about how that um, there's a lot that the world promises you they can do, they can redeem. They promise you what they can do for your, your marriage or your family or your career or your happiness. Just, just happiness, people trying to be. But it always fails. And that's why the gospel, that's why the cross is so important. Uh, the cro- that's the answer. Listen, that's the answer. Where, uh, I don't know. I can't explain it here all this morning, but that's the answer of where you pick to go to college. That's the answer for the career that you're going to choose. That's the answer for why you choose to stay together as a married couple or how you discipline your children. That's the answer is in the, tied up in the scriptures and the gospel. It's always the gospel. It's always the cross. And the totality of it is, is more than you can imagine. You making a job decision about where to go, go to work is bigger than just you and your family. It, it, it has ripple effects. You may supposed to stay right where you're at because the ripple effect of, of your life and your family and your children is going to affect the gospel. You leaving because God has told you to leave and go somewhere else. Is a ripple effect because it has to do with the gospel and the kingdom. And your life and your wife and your children, your life's going to affect somebody out there. I don't know if you're supposed to stay or go. I don't know where you're supposed to go to school. But God does. It's always about the gospel. Now, that's weighty, isn't it? Isn't that weighty? But your life is important to God, and your life is useful to God, and he can use you in such a way. That's what he's doing right here. Verse 7 says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption of an exchange of land. To confirm the matter, a man removed his sandal, and he gave it to another, and this was the manner of the attestation. So really, the technical way they did it, if you look at it literally in Deuteronomy, was the woman was supposed to go up to the man who was supposed to redeem her, took off his sandal, hit him with the sandal, and spit in his face. Well, Naomi didn't do that. And, you know, we, we laugh about that today, but, you know, what do we do, what do, we do in Western culture today? When, how we did, a lot of you did it this morning. When, you, when they walked up to you in church, you shook their hand. It's a Western custom where you extend your right hand, you shake somebody's hand. It's just a custom, and that's what it was in the days of Israel. Um, offering your left hand in the Middle East is not a good thing, is it, Ron? Because it, it means something else. <laughs> So it's just a custom, but that was what was supposed to happen, but what it had developed in was this right here. Verse 9 says, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day. I have bought this from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Shilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, and he just repeats it. Yeah, I know she's a Moabitess. I know everything about her. You see, that's why why, um, Boaz said it. The women had been saying it. The town had said it. Everyone recognized she was the Moabitess. She was that, she was that pagan woman from Moab. Yeah, oh, oh uh, and let me like, he went down there, and he, because there was a famine, he found, he, he went and married these women, got involved in all of that. His, his sons did, and then come back there. They were very judgmental. They were looking down on him. He says, yeah, I know who I'm redeeming. And you know, that's exactly what God does with you. And so... A lot of times we're embarrassed by our past or, th- or who we were or what we did in our life, but God knows who you are when he comes to get you. My resume did not look good when I, when I met the Lord. It wasn't much of a resume, a resume. And what I've done in my own strength still isn't much, but what God has done in my life is pretty neat. I didn't do it. He did it. And what God can do in your life will look pretty good. He knows exactly who you are. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, 
to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people, and listen to these wonderful blessings, all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah, both of you who built the house of Israel. And may you achieve great wealth in Ephrathah. And become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez and Tamar. Bore to Judah through the offspring, which the Lord will give you through this young woman. This, these blessings are very, very intense and they're very specific. Not only for lineage, not only for legitimacy, but also for future generations. So what, what God was doing in Boaz's and Ruth's life at that moment wasn't just affecting them. And this is one of the things I love to do in premarital counseling whenever I'm talking to a young couple and we're talk, they're going to get married. I love to talk to them about what it is that God is not just going to do in their life, but if they'll do it right and live for God the way they're supposed to, to live, they'll bless others around them, and it'll affect eternity if you just do it right. Let God do what he wants to do. Through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this woman. Gee, there was going to be somebody else special that came through this woman too, huh? I'll, I'll tell you about him in just a moment. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went to her. And the Lord As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. To conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. Say, without a redeemer. Without a, one more time, without a redeemer. And so, see, if you're here this morning and you haven't met my Jesus, you are without a redeemer. You have not been redeemed. But if you're here this morning and you've met Jesus, you prayed and asked him to come in your heart, you have been redeemed. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life. Everyone say restorer of life. And that's why we call ourselves born-again Christians. Because not only has he redeemed us, but he has restored our life. We were dead, but now we're alive. We were blind, but now we see. We were lost, but now we're found. Our Redeemer has done that for us. And a sustainer in your old age. Say, has sustained me. One more time, has sustained me. And so, when those hard, hard times have come to you as Christians, and earth-shattering times have come to you, he has sustained you in those moments. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David, King David. And all the Old Testament prophecies said that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David, and that's how you're in this book. Because David became king, he went ahead and his lineage continued on for several hundred years until finally a child was born to Mary and to Joseph, whose real father was the son of God, or rather his real father was Lord God Almighty, and that lineage is right there. And then, that, then Jesus 
lived for 30 years ministering, for 33 years ministering, and then was crucified and put on a cross, put in a tomb, but raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and the story was told, which is the gospel, to whom they believed 2,000 years ago. And people are still believing today, and some of you are sitting here this morning because of the story that was happening in Luke. That's the gospel. And so when we see someone who's baptized, or we see somebody who's coming to the Lord, it's actually this story taking place. It's the story of Abraham. It's the story of Noah. It is the story of Paul and Peter and John. It's the story of the miracles that happen in the Bible. They're still happening today. And what we see happening here is that which cannot redeem. I cannot redeem her. But then we see the possibility of he who can redeem. And we see how that he brought legitimacy and he brought a legacy. And they prayed a blessing over him for him to be fruitful and to multiply and to be famous and for those who would believe. And so there's some very important lessons for us that we learn out of the book of Ruth. One of them is that God uses, God unexpectedly uses the frail to show his love. Not a more pitiful or weak picture do we have in that first chapter where Naomi and her daughters and daughter-in-law are on that dark road. I have it in my mind. I've thought of that, that story many, many times. And we use it for a wedding passage, but let me tell you something. It's a beautiful picture that even in those darkest, darkest moments, God was there on that road. And some of you are on that road right now. You're on that road, and it seems so totally impossible. Things are just not going to work out, but it is going to work out. If you're a believer, God is, God is going to get you. He's never left you. The second thing we learn is that God uses people who will stand. I can't say enough about Boaz because he does what is right and what is proper. And church, this is where we're failing in, our, in the Christian experience. The, church, the 21st century Western church is failing because we, we love the story of Jesus and him being crucified, and we love the fact that if we can pray and just pray in faith and ask Jesus to come into our heart. But then there's another part that Jesus says in the gospel. He says, and pick up your cross and follow me. And what a lot of Christians are struggling with or not doing at all is they will not pick up their cross, and they will not follow. See, Bo asked us, said, yeah, that's a really sweet couple, but I'm not making a commitment. He had to make a commitment. He had to be sold out, and he had to buy in. And the great frustration for many, many pastors and leaders and people who, who are in church work, and sometimes parents, is that you don't want just your child to hear a really neat story about a man who lived 10,000. You want your child to meet somebody who's going to change their life forever. But he can only use people who are willing to stand. Now you just take that and interpret it how you want. What does that mean? How do I become? It's not what you. It's not necessarily what you do, but it's, it's what you become as a Christian. And what you're going to do with the church, and what you're going to do with Scripture, and what you're going to do with prayer. Thirdly, is this: is that God is always present when you feel abandoned, when you feel alone. Uh, this is a very common. Psychologists will tell you that. All human beings have seasons or periods and times in their life where they feel alone. Something about the way our mind works. But I've told you a story about the school teacher that I led to the Lord. And a couple of weeks later, she said, Brother Mike, I think I'm losing my mind. I said, what's wrong? She says, well, he's just always there. I said, well, well tell me what you mean. She said, well, she said, I know when I got saved, I was, I was very excited about being saved. But then I had this awareness. And so about where I'm going, what I'm doing, and how I'm talking to my husband, and how I'm getting mad. I got mad at my oldest daughter the other day, and you know, she said, but every time I start to do what I used to do before I knew him, I get doing, going down this track, and, and he's always there. And I said, yes, ma'am, and you're going to have to make a decision every time about your, what you, if you're going to do what the Lord is leading you to do, or if you're going to do just what you want to do. And don't, do you, don't you not want to get there to where you forget that he's there? Do you, I mean, I have a fear. I mean, I know that I was different. You think I'm weird now? You should have met me right after I was saved. That was really strange. But I want that sensitivity to the Lord to know that he's always there and that he's, all, that, that he's never. And when I sin now, it's different. I'm not saying that I don't sin, but when I sin now, I know he's there. And I'll meet him. I'm going to have to talk about it that night. I'm going to have to ask him to forgive me. The fourth thing and I think maybe even the most important, this is for us as a church, as Pruitt, and for you as families, but God is working even when we don't know what he is doing. And some of you are control freaks. 
more so than others. You think you have to know everything, you have to be in control of everything. And God, I don't know that he delights in it, but he, we are on his list. I'm one of those people, okay? And so he has been all through my Christian life reminding me, so Michael, you don't have to know that. You don't have to take care of that. What's that to you? I can hear him in my head telling me that all the time. You don't have to know that. And so everything that I can give away in the past, in pastor and leadership, and I hope you've noticed that at Pruitt, where I can give away leadership or ask somebody to do something. Uh, Tanya, I give it away, don't I? I say, hey, will you take care of this? And then I, and then I don't want to talk to him unless something's on fire or somebody's gotten hurt. I want to hear about it again. I try to do that. Just take this and go with it. Now, there's another side of that that I wish more of you would say, hey, I'll do this. I'll take care of this. Because we still have lots of ministry needs here. We still have things that we need people to do. But it's a very important principle that God is working even when, when we don't know how he's working. And so some of you, maybe you're in a, a very, very difficult situation right now. You're praying about something, and, and you're, you're very, very tense and very, very anxious about it. And you don't know what to do. God knows what to do. And he hasn't forgotten you. You're not on a dark road by yourself. And if you don't know right now, it's because he, he doesn't ha- you don't have to know right now. But keep praying and keep seeking his face. And as you need to know, he will open a door and you take a little step. He'll open another door. Hey, me being here this morning was God opening a little door for me. And I mean, I prayed about it. I prayed about it right up to the night, right up to the day we came to preach in view of a call. I was praying about it. I was so frightened and attentive, wondering if that was really what the Lord wanted. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad I walked through that door. I'm so glad to be here with you. And then lastly, that we serve a Redeemer who is able. And I'll go back to that's an earlier point, but there, there is something out there that's promising you everything, and it cannot deliver. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can deliver. He's the great, he's the great provider. He's the one who knows, and you're part of his family now. When, <clears throat> when each one of my children got married... I told their spouse, my first one was Cole, Cole Davis, when Beth got married to him. I said to Cole, I made a very special point. I mean, I took him aside after the, the wedding. We were standing around. We had, and I said, you're one of us now. You're a, Cal, you're a Calhoun. Even though my daughter's married you, you're, you're kin now. And we will be there. We will come. I don't have a white horse, but I do have a shotgun, and we'll fix it. <laughs> I told him that. And... He didn't laugh. He kind of went like that. What have I done? What have I married into? But Terry, you know what I'm talking about. I was trying to impress upon him. He was one of, and we would do anything. Anything we would do for one of our children, we'd, we'd do for him. And the Lord just impressed me to do that. And then I told, I've told each one of our children. I've told, my, I've told uh, Lake in that, and I've told Judd Jackson that. And they all had a, a little bit of a surprise reaction, but they've all told me later they appreciated that. They all call me dad, and they said, you know, dad, I think you really mean that. I said, I do mean it. When you need us, we will be there as much as earthly possible because we're family now. And see, that's what God did with you when you got saved. He said, you're one of mine now. And when you're on a dark road, or you're facing adversity, or you're sick, or you're struggling in your finances, or when you're having physical or mental or whatever the problems are, I'm going to be there, you bet. And he does have a horse, and he has the whole host of heaven. And when God shows up, it means something, amen? He always shows up, and he's never late. Do you have, a, do you have an on-time God this morning? Because he was on time for Ruth and Naomi. Do you have an on-time God this morning? If you don't, I want to introduce you to him. His name is Jesus. And he's a savior, and he loves you, and he will come into your heart. He will save you, and he will be with you forever if you'll just trust him. Are you looking for a place to serve? Well, the Pruitt Baptist Church would love to have you. Come serve. Come. Come join. What will happen is we'll have an invitation in a moment, and if you want to join this church, you can come down, and uh, I'll ask Miss Harris, Miss Shirley Harris. She'll come down, and she'll take some notes, and I'll say, and I do it. I've changed it. I know Pruitt's done it the same way, for, and this been, church has been here for a long time. But I changed it a little bit, and I say, hey, if it's all right for this person to be a member of this church, you say amen. Everybody goes, amen. And what's the second thing I ask? Hallelujah. And that's how we accept people. And you'll, you'll be one of us. And if you need us, we'll come. And I think somebody here probably has a white horse. I don't know. But we'll be there for you. We'll try to be. We're not perfect, but we'll try to be there. So you need a church family or you need the Lord, you come this morning. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. We ask you to bless, Lord, this invitation time. 
And Lord, thank you. You have blessed me through the study of this book of Ruth, this magnificent woman, dear Lord, uh, who was uh, the great-grandmother of David, dear Lord, who's <laughs> who you were totally faithful to. Help me to uh, aspire to be a Boaz, dear Lord, who is faithful, who, do, who does things right, who tries to do uh, what you have called us to do as Christians, dear Lord. And thank you for the blood of Jesus that even when I try and fail, uh, you have me covered there as well. And Father, if, there's, or if there are folks that are here this morning and they're looking for a place to serve, a place to, to worship, I pray that they would consider this fellowship of people, dear Lord. We are not perfect, but we are per pursuing a perfect Savior. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, would y'all stand with me? We'll sing a hymn of invitation this morning. And all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will Now let us talk to you about it. You come this morning. I love this phrase right here. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.